I take refuge in the Buddha mind. I take refuge in the Dharma body. I take refuge in the Sangha heart. A poem from Zen poet Ikkyu. Why is it all so beautiful, this fake dream, this craziness? Why? Why is it all so beautiful? And one from the Beatles. There are places I'll remember all my life, though some have changed, some forever, not for better, some have gone and some remain. All these places have their moments of lovers and friends I still can recall. Some are dead and some are living. In my life, I've loved them all. Perhaps you've lost someone that you love. My mother died last year. My father died almost 20 years ago. And I will be next. At the monastery, we sometimes chant a version of the five remembrances, which goes like this. I am getting older. I have the nature to grow old. I am made to suffer illness. Health is not what I am. I am already dying. Death will find me. All that is dear to me and everyone I love come to change. Death will find them too. My deeds are the ground on which I stand. So the Buddha advised us to contemplate these five remembrances. That we will get old, that we will get sick, that we will die, that everyone and everything we love will also die and that the only thing uh, that we can stand on is our deeds. 
is our thoughts, our speech, our actions, which turn in to what we call the future. Some people think it's depressing to contemplate such things, but for me it's very inspiring. So Ten and I chose this chant to be our wedding song as we walk down the aisle together to remind us of the preciousness, the poignancy, the importance of our every action, our every moment together. This precious fleeting life, don't you want to be here for it? Not because it's the right thing to do, not because it's better or good, but because you love it, because you love truth, because you love life. This discipline and these forms will only get us so far. To go all the way, we have to own it ourselves. We have to devote ourselves to this presence from the inside out from our own deep respect and appreciation for this life, this life, not, not the idea of this life in time, but this actual life right in front of us, right below us, right around us, right inside of us. So it's from our own deep honoring and love for this life that we continue to practice. It's a poem from Mary Oliver, When Death Comes. When death comes, like the hungry bear in autumn, when death comes and takes all the bright coins from his purse to buy me and snaps the purse shut, when death comes like the measle pox, when death comes like an iceberg between the shoulder blades, I want to step through the door full of curiosity, wondering what is it going to be like, that cottage of darkness. And therefore I look upon everything as a brotherhood and a sisterhood, and I look upon time as no more than an idea, and I consider eternity as another possibility. I think of each life as a flower, as common as a field daisy and as singular, and each name a comfortable music in the mouth, tending as all music does towards silence and each body a lion of courage and something precious to the earth. When it's over, I want to say, all my life, all my life, I was a bride married to amazement. I was a bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I have made of my life something particular or real. 
I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. This temporary, fleeting, dewdrop life, this beauty we call life, what is it like to really let it under our skin? To feel so deeply, so intimately, so completely that we no longer want anything else. The color of the floor, could that be enough? The feeling of the clothes touching the skin. The every particle of breath Subtle sound of bird, the touch of the body against the floor or the mat, the chair. This total intimacy. Our imagined thoughts of past and future could never, ever compare. Never, ever compare to it. Now what those thoughts are made of is quite interesting. What is the substance of those thoughts? The texture of those thoughts. Now that's very intimate. And to create the most beautiful life we can. One of wonder, one of appreciation, of kindness, of love for ourselves, for one another, of joy. Actually, these aren't things that we can create. These aren't things that we can make happen, but rather these are what we discover when we let go of everything else. When we surrender our agenda, release our story, we find ourselves immersed in beauty. immersed in wonder. I'll um, read a a few short dialogues um, between the famous Layman Pong and the great Zen master Shirto uh, from 9th century China. (coughs) 
At the beginning of Chen Yan era, 785 to 804 of Tang, the layman visited Chan Master Shurto. He asked the master, who is the man who doesn't accompany the 10,000 dharmas? Who is the one who does not accompany the 10,000 things? Shurto covered the layman's mouth with his hand. In a flash, he realized. Next dialogue. Another day, Shurto said to the layman, Since seeing me, what have your daily activities been? When you ask me about my daily activities, I can't open my mouth. The layman replied. This intimacy we, we can't communicate through words, actually. When you ask me about my daily activities, I can't tell you. The layman replied. Shurto said, just because I know you are thus, I ask you. Whereupon the layman offered this verse. My daily activities are not unusual. My daily activities are not unusual. I'm just naturally in harmony with them. Grasping nothing, discarding nothing. Grasping nothing, discarding nothing. In every place, there's no hindrance, no conflict. In every place, there's no hindrance, no conflict. Who assigns the ranks of vermilion and purple? Who makes the standards? Who assigns the ranks of vermilion and purple? The hills and mountains' last speck of dust is extinguished. My supernatural power and marvelous activity, drawing water and carrying firewood. My supernatural power and marvelous activity, drawing water and carrying firewood. Drinking tea, driving our car, picking something up with a hand. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> Tasting, seeing, hearing, supernatural powers. Um, oh, just let me read the very, the, la the thing he said after. So after the verse, <clears throat> Shurto gave his assent. He approved. Then he asked, will you put on black robes or will you continue wearing white? So white's the color of layman, and black is the color of the priest. Will you put on black robes, or will you continue wearing white? I want to do what I like, replied the layman. So he did not shave his head and dye his clothing. <laughs> so just like passionate inquiry is not the path for all of us, so too monastic life is not the path for all of us. But one path isn't better than the other. Because Layman Pong chose not to ordain but to continue with the family life, he has become an inspiration for non-ordained um, 
non-ordained and non-monastic practitioners, providing us with a beautiful example of a devoted practice and a full awakening while in the midst of a lay life, a life outside of the monastery. And it's said that not just him, but his whole family was enlightened. His son, his wife, and his daughter actually was the most enlightened. Layman <laughs> Pong seemed to have regarded acquisition of wealth as a hindrance to his enlightenment. So the most famous story about him is um, a story in his middle age. When he donated his house to be used as a temple, he gathered up all his belongings and money and sunk them in a lake. <laughs> He, he didn't give them away because he was afraid that they might be a hindrance to others. And um, I just think this is a beautiful example of, of letting go. Um, even though we may not do that very same action or need to do that very same action of giving up all of our belongings, um, what is it that we are holding on to? What is it that we can give up? What is it that's a hindrance in our practice of full awakening right now? And perhaps the belonging we hold most dear is not a thing that can be held or seen or thrown in a lake. What is that? What is that that we hold most dear? And how to let go of that? Um, In response to that question, I'd like to share some practice instructions for letting go from a Tibetan yogi, uh, Talopa. They're called the six nails of key points. So you can um, just, if you're not already, be in your mind of meditation. And here's his instructions, just six points. Don't recall. Don't recall. Let go of what has passed. Don't imagine anything. Let go of what may come. Don't think, let go of what is happening now. Don't examine, don't try to figure anything out. Don't control, don't try to make anything happen. Rest, relax right now at rest. So these can be summarized as no past. So it's like you're hammering in the nail, like check. No past, no future, no present, no conclusions, no controlling. Relax. Then what is left? What is left when you let go of everything you can let go of? 
What is the one thing that you can't let go of? Most basic, most intimate. This is the only refuge the only place that we can trust, the one thing that can't be taken away from us. This is trust in mind, faith in mind. This complete relaxing into ourselves, into this life as it is. Another translation uh, titles Talopa's teaching the six precepts. No thought, no reflection, no analysis, no cultivation, no intention. Let it settle itself. Let it settle itself. What would our life be like if we could observe these as precepts, even just for short periods of time? No thought. No reflection, no analysis, no trying to get cultivation, no purpose, no intention, no controlling, just letting it settle itself. We can imagine our mind like a bucket of water. It's filled with debris, often. The debris of our thinking, our wanting, our not wanting, our planning, worrying, judging, remembering, creating, fixing, irritation, anxiety, all sort of floating around in this water in the bucket of our mind whirling around and stirred up by our constant activities. And when we sit zazen or, or when we return to stillness and presence in any activity, it's returning to zero, the whirling motion slows or even stops. And some of the debris can float to the surface. We can see it. We can inquire into it, we can pick it out. And some of the debris sort of just settles down to the bottom of the bucket and stays there until we come out of concentration. And then it gets activated again and it starts whirling around. So you may notice this when you come out of a meditation period or out of sashin. It's like uh, these reactivities these tendencies were sort of at bay, held at bay, just sort of there, but not really activated, but still with the potential to be activated. 
And then we go out into the world and conditions and causes then activate. And again, there's this debris sort of flowing around in the bucket of our mind. However, if we let the debris settle for long enough, thoroughly enough, through our just simple presence practice, returning again, 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 day after day, sashin after sashin. <laughs> I always used to have this idea that like, dear, I'm going to get it this sashin, <laughs> this sashin's going to be it. And then I get disappointed when it gets towards the end and then, you know, what I thought was going to happen didn't happen. Um, but we just keep going. Sashin, in a way, never ends. And we keep settling and we keep returning and we keep remembering. And sometimes, after many sashin, or sometimes for the lucky few without any sashin at all, um, you know, who knows? Like Hogan Roshi said, everything has its timing. We don't control it. But sometimes the bottom of the bucket can just fall out. And all the water can just fall out. <laughs> and there is nowhere for anything to float in anymore. And there is nothing for... Uh, nowhere, nothing. <laughs> for anything to get agitated in. Nothing to get stirred up anymore. I want to read a, a story of Chio, Chio, Chiono. Chiono. Uh, Chiono was a Japanese uh, Zen uh, servant at a, at a Zen convent. So she wasn't one of the practitioners. She was one of the workers, one of the servants. Um, and one day she approached an elderly nun and said, I'm of humble birth, I can't read or write, and I must work all the time. So this might be the case for some people practicing from home, that you're working during the session, or you have a lot of tasks to do. She says, I must work all the time. Is there any possibility that I could attain the way of Buddha, even though I have no skills? The nun answered her, This is wonderful, my dear. In Buddhism, there are no distinctions between people. There is only this. Each person must hold fast to the desire to awaken and cultivate a heart of great compassion. People are complete as they are. If you don't fall into delusive thoughts, there is no Buddha and no sentient being. There is only one complete nature. This is so important to remember. People are complete as they are already. It's just a recognizing of that. The nun says, if you want to know your true nature, you need to turn towards the source of your delusive thoughts. This is called zazen. You need to turn towards the source of your delusive thoughts. This is called zazen. Chiyono said with happiness, with this practice as my companion, I have only to go about my daily life practicing day and night. <laughs> 
What, what pure devotion. <laughs> if only we could give ourselves like that. <laughs> With this practice as my companion, I have only to go about my daily life practicing day and night. After months of wholehearted practice, she went out on a full moon night to draw some water from a well. The bottom of her old bucket, held together by bamboo strips, suddenly gave way. Suddenly gave way. And the reflection of the moon vanished with the water. Can you imagine that, that bucket in the dark of the night and the moon is reflected in the water and then whoosh! When she saw this, she attained great realization. Her enlightenment poem was this. With this and that, I tried to keep the bucket together. With this and that, I tried to keep the bucket together. And then the bottom fell out. Where water does not collect, the moon does not dwell. So this story is basically it, the whole teaching and the fruition here in this story. To start, like Chiyono, we must know that we already have everything we need to practice and to awaken, no matter what our life situation is no matter what our life situation is. Then, the practice. First, devote yourself wholeheartedly to presence, to looking directly day and night, night and day. Second, cultivate a heart of great compassion. Did you catch that line? The nun says, there is only this. Each person must hold fast to their desire to awaken and cultivate a heart of great compassion. So this counters the I must get enlightened energy, right? Open our heart. So first, devote yourself day and night. Second, cultivate a heart of great compassion. And third... Turn towards the source of your delusive thoughts. What is the cause of my suffering? What is the cause of my suffering? Who is it that suffers? Who is it that suffers? Again, not thinking about these matters, but turning directly towards them looking directly at them. So these are what are called, we call in Buddhism, the three legs of practice. You'll find them in all Buddhist teachings, and they create a platform for awakening, of awakening. They're said to be like a tripod. I only have two arms, but <laughs> a tripod. Um, without one, the others can't stand. 
So, right, if, if you take away one leg from the tripod, it's like, uh, so we find ourselves in zazen like that sometimes, right? <laughs> Probably missing one of the three legs, <laughs> maybe a few of them. <laughs> so they create a platform together. Without one, the others cannot stand. So without kindness, without friendliness, patience, compassion, we, we actually can't learn to concentrate. We have to have this friendliness towards our experience, this welcoming, this attitude of um, acceptance of ourselves in order to really train the mind to concentrate. And without concentration, we're not able to see deeply into the nature of things because we can't stay with it. The mind just keeps wandering off to past and future and planning and judging and um, evaluating. And um, without, when we, and then when we see deeply into the nature of things, kindness and compassion will manifest to their fullest potential. So with um, deep recognition of true nature, kindness and compassion are innate to us. They're, they're, they are true nature. They are what's there when the delusion, delusive thoughts fall away. So these three, even so, can get out of balance and we start to lean and become troubled. So a very simple way um, to check your practice is to just ask yourself about these three. Samadhi, am I present? Am I present? Sila, am I kind? my kind and prajna am i looking into the nature so these are like the three facets of the same awake jewel they're also that metaphor is used so please don't think about them but devote yourself to their practice. They're shining, this jewel shining, these three-sided jewel. Experience them directly and simply. Concentration, inquiry, and kindness. In this present experience, it's always this body, breathing, feeling now. So please keep polishing this jewel moment by moment until it shines without hindrance. Until you can honestly say that you have leaped beyond the confines of birth and death. And even after you can honestly say that you've leaped behind, beyond the confines of birth and death. A few days ago, I shared with you Dogen's death poem. And I'd like to close today um, with his teacher's death poem, um, Rujing. And this is the poem that Dogen uh, based his death poem on. So he rewrote his teacher's death poem uh, to be his own. So here's Ru Jing's poem. 
for 66 years, committing terrible sins against heaven, now leaping beyond. While still alive, plunging into the yellow springs. Amazing. I used to believe that life and death were unrelated. Let's continue. <laughs> 